When was the last time someone had to tell you to keep still? For some of us, that may have been yesterday. Imagine uh, how independent children can be and uh, family's getting ready to go out and everybody's getting dressed and uh, uh, little Johnny decides that he wants to dress himself. But he doesn't do a pretty good job of it and so when everybody's ready to go, Johnny has some wardrobe failures. And so mommy or daddy has to pull him aside and try to to fix him up so that he looks presentable because all loving parents want their children to go out in public looking nice or acceptable, to say the least. But as mommy or daddy is preparing to fix him up, Johnny's playing with his, with his imaginary airplane, airplane, and he's, and his dad and mom, keep still, Johnny, because he's fidgeting. Or some children are very active, busy bodies and, uh, there's a child and he's running up and down and he's doing backflips and, and rolling over and his parents will say, Johnny, you gotta keep still. You're gonna, go, you're gonna get hurt. Or two girlfriends who, who, who plan to go out an outing, probably to the mall or to a movie somewhere and one shows up to pick up her other friend and when she opens the door, she stands back and she says, oh, girlfriend, what happened to you? What, what, what's with this yellow and blue here and, and orange lipstick? I can't go with no junglers. Come, I gotta fix you. And as she tries to fix her girlfriend, she's fidgeting and she says, girlfriend, you gotta keep still. I can't do this. And as you keep still. And so we've all had those opportunities when we are told that in order to get the kind of help that we need, we simply had to keep still. But God has that problem too with his children. And we'll see today that God had to tell his children that they need to keep still so that he can do what he really needs to do. And so, the passage that we're looking at refers to the Lord as Jehovah God, the eternal and self-existing God, which means that he knows what he's doing at all times. He doesn't need any help. And uh, when we look at who God is, we are reminded that we can't keep still if we are too absorbed by selfishness. God gets our undivided attention only and only when we keep still. So the question that is prompted for all of us today is what are you preventing God from doing in the circumstances of your life because you will not keep still. God wants to do something. The Bible tells us that God has a plan for each and every single one of us. Plan to prosper us and have us do well and do good. But sometimes because God is not a dictator and God will not do with us what we, if we're not cooperative, God can't do what he really wants to do unless we keep still and let him do it. But God had that problem with the children of Israel. And in the passage today, we're going to see the drama. As the Lord did with the children of Israel, he's still doing today, right now, as we are speaking, telling his children to keep still as he attempts to rescue them from situations that can cause conflict, 
emotional and mental, not to mention physical hardships. Chapter 14 stands out as one of the most dramatic passages in the scripture. Exodus chapter 14. Uh, one of the most dramatic passages in the whole Bible. In fact, the first 14 verses reveal two fourfold actions. The first, Israel is ordered by God to turn back after God gave them instructions on where to go. And then they're chased by Pharaoh, the first nine verses. And then we see the Israelites grumble and they are comforted by Moses, verses 10 to 4. We're going to look at those 14 verses. The focus here is not on the spectacular, dramatic crossing of the Red Sea. The focus is on the drama that took place before the crossing of the Red Sea. There was a lot of drama. God had to deal with his people before they even crossed the Red Sea. And so we look at the plan of the Lord, the responses to the plan of the Lord, and the guarantee God gave in his plan. So first we see the Israelites ordered by God to turn back, and they're chased by the Israelites, the first nine verses. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Verse 1, Exodus 14. Now even though there is a consciousness of how necessary instructions are in just about every single aspect of our lives, there's still a tendency to ignore them. Even when they come from God. Whenever a person buys a new product, it comes with instructions, right? What do we do with those instructions? We throw them on the side. Well, I don't need that. And we put, try to put it together ourselves because we know what we're doing, right? We don't need no instructions. And after you try to put it together and it doesn't work, what about those instructions? What, what I did with those instructions? That's what happened with instructions. Okay, and even when they come from the Lord, we tend to ignore them or we say, that ain't for me. That's what I brother who lived down the road. I saw what he was doing the other day. That's for him. That's not for me. So even when these instructions come from the Lord, we have a tendency to ignore them. But notice how unmistakably clear God's instructions are to Moses. Verse 2. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp at Pi-Haharoth and Migdol and the sea. Between Migdol and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from baal Zephon. Moses followed the instructions of the Lord and ordered the Israelites to turn back and camp at Pi-Haharoth. Now we can imagine that since Israel had already completed the three days journey. Remember, remember when they told Pharaoh that uh, Moses said, Pharaoh, we, need to, we need to go and, and worship the Lord and, and it's a three days journey. Well at this point, they had already finished that three days journey. They had accomplished their three days journey, and all of a sudden, Moses is going to come forward and, and say, oh, okay, we got to turn back. Say what? You got to be joking, Moses. We already reached. I wouldn't have wanted to be Moses in that situation. Two million people, and you tell them they got to turn back? No way. But it was the instructions of the Lord. 
It was not like Moses made a mistake in leading them or took a wrong turn or, 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 or something like that. No, it was the instructions of the Lord. And when it comes to the instructions from the Lord, it could be detrimental to ignore them even if they don't even seem to make sense. And for the children of Israel at this point, those instructions just did not make any sense. Paul Moses. Moses had to tell them to turn back. So the Israelites were led by the Lord. Right down into the valley with the mountain range of Baal Zephon on the right and the mountain range of Pi Haharoth on the left and the sea in the front of them. It was not like they took a wrong turn. No, the Lord led them there. Now, this was one of those situations where God decides that even though he didn't have to, he'd have to give them some explanation. So the Lord gave him his reasoning for doing, for the instructions that he gave. This is interesting because it's not something that God usually did. Who knows the mind of the Lord? And God doesn't have to give us any explanation for anything. He's God. But in this particular case, the Lord made an exception. Verse 3. Then Pharaoh will think. This is the instructions, the, the explanation that God gives, gives. Then Pharaoh will think. The Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. See, God knows what he's doing. While Pharaoh will think the Israelites are trapped and confused in the wilderness with their escape looking impossible, the plan of the Lord, God had a plan, was actually to make the resulting miracle of their escape even more extraordinary. And it would all be done for his glory. It's all about God's glory here. Notice how the Lord explained his intentions. Verse 4. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God has a plan. God has a plan for you too. Are you keeping still in order that he would carry out that plan? Or are you fidgeting and fooling around and grumbling? God has a plan. He always does. God doesn't do anything haphazardly. The Israelites thought that this instruction to turn back didn't make any kind of sense. But God explains, this is my plan. Now, you may have had some other plans. You may have been envisioning something else, but this is my plan. And my plan is for my glory. So by saying once again, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart, the Lord was actually saying that he was not finished with his judgment of the Egyptians yet. In other words, God was saying, stay tuned. There's more to come. You thought that last plague was it? Uh-uh. There's more to come. This is my plan. He said, I have planned it. 
And I have planned it that he will chase after you in order to display my glory. And so the idiotic rebellion of Pharaoh and his whole army against the clear will of the Lord would result in the death of the Egyptians who would know once and for all. God says, I want to to make it clear that they know who I am, that I am the Lord. Now, I did 10 miracles, 10 plagues, rather, to show them who I am, but I don't think they got the message. I don't think they got it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something one final time and, and they're gonna get it and then they're gonna be no more. Notice their reaction when they heard the Lord's explanation of his intentions. Isn't it good when we can get an explanation? Makes you feel at ease, eh? Notice their reaction, totally changed. So the Israelites camped as they were told. In other words, they followed the instructions. They didn't get on Moses' case anymore. They didn't blame Moses anymore, at least at this particular point. But that's going to change. So we see that God is, is really true to his word when he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. And that's what God wanted to do here with the Israelites. He said, I want you to keep still because what I'm going to do, you could never imagine. So you got you to keep still so that I can do what only I am capable of doing. I'm going to teach you another lesson. In other words, you can't figure God out, so don't hurt your head trying. Many times we try to do that. We ask God for something, we pray about something, and we anticipate and we imagine how God is going to do it. And when it's not working out to how we imagine it, then we get all bent out of shape and get this headache and all kinds of stuff. No, you can't figure God out. God says it right here. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So don't hurt your head trying. Just keep still and let God do what he wants to do according to his plan and not yours. Now this brings us to to the responses to the plan of the Lord. And and to the plan of the Lord, there there, there were two, two responses. The first response came from Pharaoh. Verse five. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done? Letting all these Israelite slaves get away, they asked. No doubt, word had reached the king of Egypt immediately that the Israelites had fled from Ramses on the 15th day of the month. But Pharaoh didn't react right away because they were too busy. In fact, the whole Egyptian uh, country were busy grieving and burying their firstborn dead, uh, which was the last plague. And so they couldn't be bothered with these people getting away. We got to bury our dead. And so that's what they were doing. And when they, when they come to the realization of what had happened, they, they said, what have we done? Letting all these Israelite slaves get away. Now this is a strange question for Pharaoh to ask because after realizing the implications of releasing these Israelites, it, should, it shouldn't have been too difficult for Pharaoh to think of at least 10 good reasons why. 10 powerful plagues 
that would have left a lasting impact, one of which he's just recovering from, the death of the firstborn. So it shouldn't have been difficult for him to answer that question or to figure out why they did what they did. And this scenario shows us how Christians are also usually quick to forget what God has done and demonstrated. We do it all the time. We have a crisis in our lives and we pray about it and others pray about it who hear about it and we, we ask for prayer and petition on, on our behalf and God comes through. And then something else happens and we forget all about that. As if God never did it. We do the same thing. Pharaoh had exercised bad judgment by thinking that God's power was limited to just 10 plagues. And because it was, he could successfully strike out against the Israelite slaves and get away with it without any kind of consequences. He thought that God was finished. God had no more plagues left. That that was the last one. The death of the firstborn. He never imagined that God had something else up his sleeve that was much, much worse. But God did. He always does. God always has a trump card. And so this experience shows a comparison to our spiritual lives. Sometimes we think that Satan will let us go easily. Or we think that once we get away from his domain, he forgets all about us. Yet just how Pharaoh chased Israel, Satan chases us, attempting to keep us at least on the edge of his domain, hoping to destroy us if he can. That's what he's doing right now. Keeping us where he can see us and strike whenever he thinks he has an opportunity to do so. Verse six. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt each with its commander. In other words, he took the whole army. There was no military left. Pharaoh was so upset with what he had done that he decided to carry the entire army and chase these Israelites to bring them back. That's the way God planned it. Remember, the Lord said, Pharaoh would think the Israelites were trapped. So thinking they were trapped, Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and set out after them with his army of 600 of his best chariots, the best of the best. It wasn't, it, it wasn't enough to just to carry the, the 600 best. He got all of them on their commanders. No military was left behind. And so Pharaoh overtaking the two million, obviously, defenseless Israelites, two million people, camping by the sea and confined by, between the two is probably where we get the expression caught between the devil and the deep blue sea from. Remember that expression? Instead, we have caught between Pharaoh and the Red Sea here. Just as the Lord had planned it. God's plan is going forward flawlessly. Notice verse 8 and 9. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces 
of Pharaoh's army. Notice all the forces. Remember, he took the 600 chariots and all the other uh, in Egypt. That's all the forces of Egypt. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pihaharoth, across from Baal Zephon. So bearing down on the helpless Israelites who were trapped between the mountains and the sea, 600 plus of Egypt's best chariots. These were actually, these 600 were actually the elite warriors of the Egyptian military, the best of the best. And Pharaoh figured that even the best of the best wasn't enough because he knew what God was capable of based on what God has done with the 10 plagues. So he figured these 600, I don't think they, they, they may not be enough. We don't know what God's got up his sleeve. These were war chariots were, were made of wood or leather, a leather cab, and they were placed over two wheels, and they, had, uh, they were pulled by two horses, and, and each carried two people, one to focus on the riding and one to focus on fighting. And so these, were, these chariots were like the armored tanks of the military in the Bible times, like the Sherman tanks we have of, of today. These were very feared weapons of warfare. But as feared as they were, their power was no match for God. Because we'll see that God will destroy both the chariots and the occupants. No problem. And as observed, there were two responses to the plan of the Lord. So we've seen the response of Pharaoh. What was the response of the children of Israel? Two responses. Pharaoh responds, grab his chariots and his military, the whole army, and go after them. The Israelites' response was grumble, and they were comforted by Moses. Notice, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord. Isn't that typical? We don't like following instructions, not even the Lord's. But when we get in trouble, oh Lord, what I could do? They cried out to the Lord. They had problems with the instructions that Moses gave that came from the Lord, but now they cried out to the Lord. When the people of Israel looked as, as Pharaoh approached, they thought that they were doomed. It's all over. I can imagine some of them in the crowd said, Boy, our goose is cooked. We're done for. It's all she wrote. We're history. So it was obvious that when they saw the Egyptians overtaking, they would panic. They were trapped as the Egyptian army was sweeping in for what they considered to be the kill. And even though they cried out to the Lord, they had no hopefulness that God would even help them. It was just a reaction that they were accustomed to doing. Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? They didn't expect God to do anything. Verse 11. And they said to Moses, now they didn't expect God to do anything, so what are they going to do next? Poor Moses. They're going to blame him. They've got to blame somebody. And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here? 
to die in the wilderness. Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why have you done this? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Now, I know, we all know the story. I don't remember reading of Moses doing any arm twisting to get them to leave. Do you? Anybody? Do we read of Moses doing any convincing them to leave? I, I didn't see any. No cajoling? No. But now Moses is at fault. Why have you done this to us? Why did you make us leave? Now this is the first recorded occurrence of grumbling by the people of Israel. This is where and how the grumbling started among the children of Israel. Sadly, the people of Israel were walking by sight instead of by faith because they saw the Egyptians coming and they gave up in despair and cried out in fear. Don't we do that sometimes? We need to be reminded when we read this that fear and faith cannot exist in the same heart. There's no room for both. It's either one or the other. And in the case of the children of Israel, all the space in their heart was taken up by fear. All faith was gone. If we really trust the Lord, there's nothing to be afraid of. We know what God is capable of doing. The Israelites knew what God was capable of doing. They saw what he did in those 10 plagues. So they knew what he was capable of. As is often the case, the people of Israel chose to criticize their spiritual leader instead of praying and trying to encourage one another. This was a time for them to come together. Instead, they were criticizing the leader whom God had chosen. They were actually complaining to the Lord because Moses had led them to the place that the Lord had chosen for them to be in. They can't see God. They got to blame somebody who they can see. Paul Moses. They ignored the fact that Moses was their deliverer and Pharaoh was their oppressor by turning on their deliverer. Kill the messenger. Always happens. After being privileged recipients of God's powerful hand of deliverance from Egypt, it's sad that the only response the children of Israel had was complaining, despair, and fear. Is that all they could come up with? After all that God had done? What happened to their, whatever happened to their trust in God? See, Israel had to learn from repeated experiences that God was able to provide for them. Even though God did it over and over and over again. They had short memories. Such experiences have been preserved by God in the Bible, giving us examples of how we can learn to trust him the very first time. By focusing on God's faithfulness in the past, we can face every crisis with assurance instead of fear and complaining. That is the application principle we can get from what, is going, what the children of Israel is going through right now in this passage. Notice 
how they switched to the typical I told you so mentality. Whenever something goes wrong, you got to blame someone. Notice, verse 12. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? Did they? Do you remember them telling them that was going to happen? I don't remember reading that. But they said, didn't we tell you this was going to happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Wow. Did they really say that? (laughs) Grumbling became a major problem for the people of Israel on this journey. Their lack of faith in God is surprisingly unbelievable. When we look at all that God had done up to this point, and yet this is the attitude that they have. They looked back to Egypt and said, it would have been better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Would it really? What short memories they had. Notice, the Lord struck Egypt with his judgments and delivered the people of Israel with great power, yet they failed to believe that he could see them through again. After all that God had done. What? Ingratitude. You know, the biggest problem that God had with the children of Israel was the sin of ingratitude. And he still has that problem with ingratitude today. God's children continue to exhibit the attitude of ingratitude. God has a real problem with that. Notice the principle here. How often have we found ourselves doing the very same thing? Complaining about inconveniences or discomforts. Even after God has done so much. God has blessed us on numerous occasions in various ways. Unimaginable ways. And then we have a little discomfort. A little inconvenience. And we get all bent out of shape. Just like the Israelites did. We forget about all that God had done. We get rattled. Remember what the hymn writer said? Count your many blessings. Name them, how many? One by one. And what will happen? It will surprise you what the Lord has done. The people of Israel didn't do that. And they had many, many blessings that they could count. They didn't do that. We do the same thing. We refuse to count our blessings. When was the last time you did that instead of complaining? Count your blessings. Someone said, when you got it bad, somebody down the road have it much, much worse. And guess what? They're not complaining. We will see that the people of Israel were about to learn some really tough lessons. If they had just trusted God, they would have spared themselves a whole lot of grief. Notice how Moses was not phased or even flustered by the grumbling. Moses didn't react to the grumbling. Verse 13. But Moses told the people, 
Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. Now, realizing that the memories of the people were pretty much distorted by fear and their vexation was ignited against them off the chain, Moses encouraged them to have firm confidence, not in him, but in the Lord. Instead of being afraid, he says, just stand still, keep still. Keep still. And watch how the Lord will rescue you, not tomorrow, not next week, today. This very day, before this day is out, you're going to see what God is capable of doing. Just keep still, and you'll see. Yes, you have seen them before, but take a good look at the Egyptians you see today because you will never see them again. Take a good hard look. Moses told the people of Israel to stop. Just stand still. In other words, just keep still. This is usually the direction the Lord gives to the believer in a time of crisis. All of us, we get the same instructions. When we face a crisis, God is saying the same thing. Despair will throw you down and keep you from standing. That's what despair is designed for. Fear will tell you to withdraw. Impatience will tell you to do something right now. Spur of the moment. Presumption will tell you to jump into the Red Sea before it's even parted. That's what we face. But God says, keep still. Let me do my thing. Yet as the Lord told the people of Israel, he often tells us to simply stand still. Keep still as he reveals his plan. Remember now, God has a plan. God is never caught off God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. The beginning from the end. What an incentive the Lord gave the people. If they would just stand still, what Moses was saying to them was, was this. As far as God is concerned, there's no time like the present. If you would keep still, the Lord will rescue you today. If you would keep still, beginning today, you will never see the Egyptians again. So I submit to you today that the Lord is saying the same thing to you today, regardless of whatever crisis or dilemma you are going through or facing. God is simply saying to you, keep still. I'm on the case. I'm not somewhere in Zimbabwe doing something else because something else is more important. No, keep still. I know what you're going through. I've got this. I've got your back. And that brings us to the guarantee in the plan of God. There's always a fine print. Here it is. The Lord himself will fight for you. Now notice, he's not going to send an archangel. He's not going to send a host of angels. What did Moses say? The Lord himself. Among the two million Israelites, over 600,000 
were men who did not have the superior military skills to fight the Egyptians. So having the Lord himself fight for them was a guarantee of victory in the plan of God. God always has a plan. And there is always a guarantee in that plan. Whenever you buy an object, a, a, a piece of furniture or anything, you want to know what the warranty is, right? You want to know if you have a warranty. You want to know if you have a guarantee. If something goes wrong with this product, can I take it back and have it replaced? Well, God has a guarantee as well. And it says, he says, I'll fight for you. Nobody could beat me, is what God is saying. Is anybody could beat God? No. Notice some passages of scripture that tell us. Uh, Exodus 15. She said, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. In other words, God is a fighter. What does a warrior do? He fights. It is as Nehemiah said in chapter 4, verse 20. When you hear the blast of the trumpet rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. God never lets his people down. They could appeal as David did in Psalm 35, 1. Oh Lord, oppose those who pose, oppose me. Fight those who fight against me. You can, say the, you can pray the same prayer that David prayed. That was the same position the children of Israel were in. God would fight for them. Notice verse 14. Last part of verse 14b. Just stay calm. Why are you getting so bent out of shape? Why are you getting so agitated? Calm down. Just keep still. Moses knew. They didn't know it, but Moses knew that the level of deliverance which the Lord would bring about would silence all of the complaints the Israelites were rambling on with. In other words, their amazement would stop them in their tracks while the Lord glorified himself before them as he guarantees the reality of his plan. Stay calm. Also meant to be still. And the Bible repeatedly tells believers to be still. Mark chapter 4 verse 39. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. God's always telling us people to, to be still. Psalm 46.10, be still. We know this one well, right? Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we, we don't know that though, do we? We act like we do, but we do. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. It's all about God's glory. God wants the world to know who he is. To be still or keep still means quieting our heart and searching for the presence of the Lord. Silence and stillness are, are needed to hear from the Lord. When, we cannot be, when he can't be found in the middle of the madness so that his children will know that he is present and that he has a plan for our future. God always has a plan. Some of us do things without making any plans and then we regret it afterwards and we're able to go back, step back and make a plan. God always has a plan. The Lord is in control 
of all our circumstances, not just some of them. But sometimes we get the impression that God is in control of this situation, but he's not in that, control of that. God is in control of all the circumstances of our lives because he's sovereign. And sometimes all we really need to do is just stay calm. Just keep still and let him work it out and patiently wait for his guidance. This is precisely what the Lord was trying to to get the people of Israel to do through his instructions to Moses, to keep still. It is so easily effortless to get caught up in all of the worldly activity that life brings our way. We We get caught up in the wave, the tsunami of life, activities. But it's crucial to take time out of our daily routine to spend some time with the Lord, seeking his presence and embracing his peace. That's what the children of Israel needed to do when they saw the Egyptian army bearing down on them. They needed to stop to seek God's presence and embrace his peace. But here's the bottom line. As Christians, we cannot move forward in the strength of the Lord until we have learned to keep still in our times of helplessness. It's easy to become disoriented in times of helplessness, running around hopelessly like a chicken with his head cut off, figuring, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? No. It's at those times we simply need to keep still because we know that God is ever-present. He's working. He's moving. Only then can the Lord place himself between us and our circumstances and rescue us in the powerful way that only he can. Notice God says, I, the Lord will fight for you. God will put himself between you. You know, whenever two people are in a, in a, in a squat, squabble, uh, if we are if we're in the presence and two people get in a fight and we want to help, what do we do? We jump in between the two, right? We step in between the two. That's what God does for us. Whenever we face a crisis, God steps in, in between us and the problems and the troubles to rescue us. So we have seen the plan of the Lord. God always has a plan. He's never without a plan as far as his children is concerned. And then we, see, we saw the responses to the plan of, the God, plan of God. Two responses, one from, from the Egyptians and one from the people of God. What kind of response are you giving uh, to God's plan today? You know he has a plan. If you're facing a crisis, what is your response to God's plan? And then the guarantee in the plan of God. God always has a guarantee that you can be assured that you will be rescued from this. So here is our individual and In closing, our collective takeaway. Even though you may not have an entire army chasing you, you can still feel trapped. 
Many people do. Instead of giving in to despair and fear, you can take the advice of Moses to stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. In other words, keep still and let the Lord do what he does best. Rescue in an unimaginable way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we praise you for being the sovereign God that you are. Awesome in every way. You have a plan for us, Lord, that never fails. Many people have plans, but those plans fail. You have a plan that never fails. And you have a guarantee that your plan will be fulfilled. And so, Lord, as we depart, prepare to depart from this place today, we may be uh, in our individual lives facing some kind of crisis that is uh, customary to the beginning of a new year. We pray, O oh God, that we may trust you. Unlike the children of Israel who panicked because of what they saw and the magnitude of what they were confronting, help us, Lord, to see you as bigger than any crisis that we could ever encounter and to keep still and allow you to work things out for us because we know that you have done it before and you'll do it again in an unimaginable way. This we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.